Chapter Twenty Five of Yesterday Framed in Today by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Five. Lover and friend hast thou put far from me. Well, said Mr. Holman, passing the letter back to his son, what reply is to be made to this remarkable epistle? I wish to go, father. I think I can arrange matters so that you will not especially need me for a few days, and if you will forward the letters, I can attend to them there. I will forward nothing, interrupted his father, trying hard to keep his excitement within bounds. Have you forgotten that I told you you must choose between your family and this adventurer? If you go away in response to such a letter as that, you go not to return. There was a bitter cry from David's mother. Oh, father, father, you don't know what you are saying. He is our boy, our only son. I know well what I am saying, his father replied, his features working painfully. He is a son for whom I have sacrificed and suffered, and he is a son who chooses now to ignore all the past and separate himself from us for one who is an enemy to his country and a blasphemer of his God. He must make his choice. I do not drive him away. Even now I am ready to forget what he has said and start afresh, as I believed that he had already done but you all ought to know me well enough to understand that I mean what I say when I repeat that if David goes out from this house to-morrow with the avowed purpose of seeking that adventurer, he goes out not to return. It was a terrible ordeal. If David could have forgotten his father, there was his mother's face of agony appealing to him. He spoke few words, and those very humble ones, but they seemed only to add fuel to the flame of his father's excitement. Yet the worst ordeal was to come. It was when his mother sought her boy in his own room that night, and pleaded with him for her sake to give up this folly. "'Dear mother,' said David, as he put all his soul into his voice, "'can you not understand that it is not for a passing fancy that I am going? Mother, God calls me.' to resist his teachings, to shut my eyes to the flood of light that he has sent me, would be the sin of sins. Can you want me to do it? She was weeping bitterly. How can you know this? she asked. How can you tell that it is not a delusion of Satan, as your father says? I wish with all my soul that it were not, and I cannot get my thought away from the hope, and yet— David had risen on his elbow, and was regarding her with a face which was strangely illumined. "'Dear mother,' he said, "'dear mother, he is calling you. I know it, I feel it. Mother, I have prayed for this with all my soul. In his wonderful love he is sending me the answer. Trust him, mother, pray to him as your saviour. He will reveal himself to you. Oh, I tell you, I know that this is so.' It was a strange interview, not at all as the mother had planned. It lasted well into the morning hours, and when she went from him she knew that she had failed, and that in a few hours more he would go out from his home not to return. Yet she went away soothed and comforted. Crowding one of the broad aisles of the church were groups of people, pressing as near as they could to hear the words of the strange teacher. It was after service, yet he was lingering, talking with them, 
and at the moment illustrating his point with a story. Among the listeners were Mary Rothwell and David Holman. As the story progressed, they exchanged significant glances. Very distinctly they saw its application. So, at the same moment, did Felix Masters, who, with Miriam Brownlee beside him, had pressed near enough to hear the penetrating voice. His face darkened, and he muttered something that his companion did not hear. She had heard little of the story. What had arrested and absorbed her attention was the sight of David Holman. She had been trying to determine just how much interest he felt in the fair girl who stood by his side, and who was apparently so absorbed in the speaker as to have forgotten all others. Yet, when the two exchanged glances, a swift intuition told Miriam that whatever else they understood, they certainly understood each other. The discovery was bitter to Miriam Brownlee. All her life she had been in the habit of ruling others. Not that she liked weak natures, the more determined they were in carrying out their own plans, the more she admired them, provided always that she could prove her influence stronger than any other. By the same token, even while she had been angry with David Holman, she had gloried in his strength of character. Still, she expected him eventually to yield to her influence. It was preposterous to suppose that he would be entirely carried away by this strange infatuation, although she admitted that it had its fascinations. New ideas, having in them an element of danger, always were interesting, but he must not carry his interest too far. She had assured herself that rigorous measures were necessary, but she had had no fears as to the final result. As the days went by, and David seemed actually to be taking her at her word, and made no effort to see her again, Miriam felt for the first time almost anxious. Was it possible that she might have gone too far? But that was absurd. David Holman belonged to her, body and soul, so she believed. But on this day, when she stood watching him exchange significant glances with Mary Rothwell, she decided that she had been harsh and unjust, and David, being a literalist, had taken her literally. She must take measures to have him understand that she had by no means meant all she said. Watching her opportunity, as the crowd began to move away, she caught David's eye and smiled and bowed. He returned the bow, but in a grave, preoccupied manner. She could almost have thought that he did not realize whom he was greeting. Evidently, he had no thought of crossing to her side. She had supposed that recognition from her would bring him. Now he really must come. When their eyes met again, she gave him a very slight but unmistakable summons. He looked surprised, but turned at once to Mary Rothwell. Miss Brownlee is motioning me to come to her. Will you wait here, or walk with me in that direction? She preferred to wait, and promising to return to her in a moment, he crossed the aisle. Miriam greeted him as though they had parted but the day before, and added impressively, David, I want to see you quite alone. When may I? He looked at her almost in bewilderment. For the past few days he had been so entirely absorbed with interests of grave importance, and with the shadow of coming events, that he but vaguely understood that there was a sense in which Miriam Brownlee had passed out of his life. "'Let it be this evening, if possible,' she urged. He replied with quiet gravity 
that he should be at the service that evening and miriam who had intended to imperiously demand that he spend the evening with her changed her mind and said very well then i will meet you here and we can talk on the way home as well as after we reach there will you come and sit with us during the service but this invitation he declined he had arranged to remain with his friends then still with that preoccupied air about him he bade her good morning and returned to mary rothwell miriam brownlee was inwardly surging with passion what did the man mean he had been almost insulting if she could only be sure that that dignified preoccupied air was assumed for effect she would promptly show him that two persons could play at that game while they were seated in church for the evening service David had a view of Miriam's face as it was raised to the speaker's with an air of interest, and there came into his heart a sudden great hope that she had at last felt in her own heart the power of the man, and would be willing at least to listen carefully to his remarkable experience. What if both his mother and Miriam could be won? Yet even then he was preoccupied, and thought of winning her only for her sake, not for his." it is a long time since we have taken a walk together david i did not think you would treat me so it was miriam's voice as sweet and gentle as of old and there was certainly reproach in it the bewildered david answered kindly i do not understand you gave me no alternative you remember what you said to me no she said i do not think i remember very well and you ought not to I never supposed you were vindictive, David. Do you not know that I was so excited and frightened that morning that I did not realize what I said? My one thought was to save you from what I knew would be danger. I did not imagine that you would be so cruel as to translate my words literally. He was very much bewildered. He hesitated as to how to word a reply, and there was an embarrassed silence. Then he said, I certainly believed, Miriam, that you spoke truth to me, and that I was in honor bound not even to call upon you again, unless I gave up what I knew I could never give up. What other course was there for me than the one I have pursued? It was hard for Miriam to keep her voice sweet. Despite her effort, it had a sting in it, as she said, It seems to have been a very easy course for you. I cannot but feel that you have been readily consoled we are certainly different david there is nothing that i would not do or give up doing for your sake even though i knew at the time that it was wrong certainly they were different he felt the truth of her words morally they seemed to live in different planes of thought or else which of her sentences did she mean he did not know how to talk to her and there was another embarrassing silence you do not mean that of course he said at last, and then he resolved to avoid all personal conversation for the time being, and begin to tell her of some of the remarkable occurrences of the week connected with the one who had become to him a centre of thought. Since she had not meant her prohibition in regard to him, it was but fair to suppose that she might be interested in what he had to tell her, especially as it so intimately concerned herself. She interrupted him, David, you expect me to listen to your story. Why is it that you will give no heed to words of mine? 
don't you know that mamma is connected with people who can keep her well posted as to what is going on in official circles when i risk my own interests to try to make plain to you that there is great danger in store not only for that man but also for his adherents why will you not be warned before it is too late the very quietness of his tone irritated his companion i understand perfectly Miriam. i know much more about it all than you suppose do not think me ungrateful for your efforts but what i want you to know what it is absolutely necessary for all my friends to know and understand is this i am fully committed to this man's cause i am ready to sacrifice position home life itself if need be at his call there are worse experiences than death dishonor would be worse to me i am pledged to follow the lead of this man though it lead to imprisonment and to what is worse than death the loss of all my earthly friends and i mean the pledge i am in very solemn earnest when i tell you that if i knew to a certainty that unless i retracted at once from the position i have taken my life would be the forfeit before morning my life would have to go and so entirely am i his that i would account it as a very little thing if it could prove my loyalty to him he could not see the flush of angry distress upon the girl's face she held herself back with strong will from the temptation to tell him that he was doubtless consoled by the thought that he would not lose all his friends since apparently mary rothwell was as insane as he instead she said trying to speak lightly very well you must learn by experience i suppose i should have thought you would have found it a bitter teacher the immediate future will show you your folly in the meantime though let us be friends you do not know you never will know how you have hurt me but never mind let it pass i forgive you i will do my utmost to save you from being injured while this insanity lasts and you on your part must forget all that i said that morning shall it all be as before speak quickly david mother and anna are coming good evening said mrs brownlee's voice the next moment at his side we have not seen you for a long time he might have murmured a single monosyllable to Miriam, but he did not he simply said i will see you again he walked home in a tumult of confused and contradictory thought he seemed to be plunged again into the midst of perplexities that he believed had been settled for him yet the very next day they slipped so utterly into the background that he did not think of Miriam at all contrary to his expectations he did not go to the church service but remained all day at the rothwells in company with the one whom he now unhesitatingly called master the records of that day are unwritten indeed so far as my knowledge extends they are untold david holman talked much about it afterwards but never save to mary rothwell and her brother and philip nelson who shared the day with him what they heard and felt that day they seemed never able to share with any who were not present one item of business claimed david's attention he went into town and secured for his use rooms in an unpretending house on a quiet street he had been to look at them before and needed only to make the final arrangements to this quiet retreat early in the evening of that same day 
he introduced philip nelson this is your resting place also my brother he said with a significant emphasis on that word brother when you want to get away from everybody come here to-morrow i will see to it that you have a key for your own use for answer philip turned and clasped his hand i may be glad of a place of shelter he said in a low moved tone some wonderful experience is coming i do not know what he was led as a lamb to the slaughter you and i have read those words many times what do they mean david two or three times he has talked to us lately as though he was actually to die but of course he cannot mean what we do by that word there was a moment of distressed silence then philip began again i have fears that i cannot or at least will not mention to him you remember the suspicions i told you i had of one of our number they increase upon me he has been in conference several times with those who are avowed enemies of our leader only yesterday for instance he was closeted with masters what can those two have in common i don't know what he could do yet i have a presentiment that he means mischief what broken reeds to lean upon what do you think we heard concerning two of our number actually planning to be made prime ministers or something of that sort when he sets up his government trying to get ahead of the rest of us you see and they had the face to go to him with it what must he think of us all with such sordid views as that and such underhanded scheming to carry them out what sort of a government can we have when it is set up i am tired of people david ashamed of them what must the masses be when out of our little company he stopped abruptly as though ashamed of his outburst but david met it halfway my brother let me ask you a question why did he choose such men to follow him he who knows all hearts were there no others are we all half deceived unworthy to be trusted philip had no answer for him he had thrown himself wearily back in a chair and was shading his face with his hand i must go he said suddenly rousing himself as a clock in the distance chimed the hour we have an appointment with him for the evening are you going to spend the night here then may i return here i want to talk some matters over with you do not wait for me do not even expect me i may not be able to come i don't plan for an hour ahead in these days End of chapter 25